Hey, before I begin this morning, let me just uh, say a quick thing here. Um, really want to just encourage everyone uh, to remember their, their giving, especially over the next few weeks. We've done pretty well this summer, really have. Summer is uh, usually a, a lower time uh, numerically and also from the giving standpoint. We've really held our own. We're about a couple hundred dollars under budget, which is not too bad. But I just want to remind everyone that if, over the next couple of weeks, to kind of the dog days of summer, people are in and out of town. And when you're in town or if you're in town now, if you want to catch up, catch up. Now would be a good time. Um, God's truly been blessing us. And the 2010 and 2010 campaign we're doing, uh, phenomenal. I mean, things that we're doing in our own community, people we're helping in our own community. We're sending a few people with Chris Cox to Mexico that we're pretty much funding here from the church to go down and impact uh, the lives there in Mexico to help out with the devastation that happened with this hurricane. And a lot of that money, most of it came from the 2010 campaign. So we've actually spent more money out of the 2010 than we brought in not because you haven't been giving, just but there, there have been so many needs, and we've, been, we've really been trying to meet those needs, not only, again, in our own community, but also around the world. So just keep that in mind, please. Social bonds, our social bonds have been slowly deteriorating over the past 40 years. They've been slowly eroding over the past 40 years. People are less connected. They're less involved in their community. It's just, it's just the way it's been happening. They're less active in, in organizations and groups than they were a generation ago. People are less apt to get involved in things. The, the, relational, the relational glue that holds our society together is really getting weaker and weaker and weaker, and you can see it. Let me share a couple statistics with you. Um, when it comes to being involved in political campaigns, and lay aside all the things that go on in politics now, but really when it comes to being involved, us being involved in political campaigns, meaning, you know, manning the phones, going door to door, stuffing envelopes, that has been cut in half. Half the people are involved now that were then, back in the 1960s. It's the, same thing. it's the same thing with a lot of activities. People are less involved in organizations and clubs like, for example, the PTA. Half as many people are involved now statistically as in the mid-70s. Less people are inviting folks over to their house for dinner, going out and connecting with each other. Less people are, there are statistics for this, believe it or not, less people are playing cards together. You know, just getting together. You know what I'm talking about. Just connecting with each other, getting together, playing those games and those kinds of things. Less people are doing that now than they did 20, 30, 40 years ago. And it says to me, this is what it says to me, that we need to work intentionally, intentionally to build and maintain community and unity within the body of Christ. We need to be intentional about that. Because if we're not intentional, the same social forces that are pulling people away from each other in our culture will also keep us from being connected with one another. Those same forces will keep us isolated from one another. And we as a church need to make sure that we understand that and we're fighting against that. We need to row against the current of this culture. Because if we do nothing, if we do nothing, then we will get swept up like everyone else. That's just the way it is. If you don't think about it, if, you don't, if you're not intentional about it, then you're just going to get swept up in the culture and we're going to be as isolated in a sense from each other as those within the culture. Now that's the bad news. 
There's some good news, though. The good news is that even though things have changed when it comes to connecting with each other, even though over the last 40 years things have changed, the people themselves, their desire to be connected has not changed. Just because, you know, you play cards less and people are involved in PTA less and all these things less, less, and less, even though that's changed, people's desire to, be in, to, to, to connect with each other, to be social, has not changed. God created us as social beings. We want to be in relationship. We need, not just want, we need to be in relationship. So as the body of Christ, as we love each other, as we care for each other, as we show grace and compassion to each other, the world sees that. Those who come in, I, that's one of the first things that I saw when I went into the church. I was, walked into a youth group meeting, and that's really what drew me into the church, to watch students invest in each other's lives, care about each other, treat each other in a way that I was not used to in the world. I didn't see that in the world. And the world looks at the church, if a church is functioning the way it should function, and they're drawn into that community. And there's where we get an opportunity to share the love of Christ with them. Last week, I said that there are four things that I would like us to observe as Paul describes the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. It says this, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who are called on, who have called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Paul said uh, to the church of God. So the first thing we said last week is that, that we observed that the church is God's community. The church is God's community. We talked about that last week. Second, the church is a local community. The church is a local community. To the church of God in Corinth, he says, very specific, very specific. To the church of God, there's a universal church, invisible church, then there's the local church. To the church of God in Corinth, very specific. This is the primary use of the word church in the New Testament, talking about believers gathered together, the gathering together of believers in the local body. That is the number one primary use of the word church in the New Testament. When God created the church, he created it to be something that we can see, something that we can touch, something that we can experience. That was God's heart in creating the church. The Bible says that God is spirit, that God himself is spirit. A spirit doesn't have a physical form that the human being can see or touch. It's formless. A spirit is formless. That is one of the main reasons that God created the church. God called himself together, a group of people who would be his very own, to be a physical, tangible representation of his presence. That is the church. Church is unique in all the universe, in all of creation. The church is unique. The church, is when it's gathered together, it, it, it expresses God. It reminds us that God is real that he's working in and through us, that he's real, that he's active within the world. It reminds us that he's working among his people. The church is kind of a, a visual aid that reminds us that God is here. Believe it or not, 
I know the church gets a bad rap in so many ways. Oh, those church people, oh, those hypocrites, ah, blah, 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 blah. But in reality, the reality is that Jesus is the head of the church, and the church is a tangible representation of God here. God working through us, God doing miracles in our lives, testimonies one after another that says, I I once lived this way, but now I live this way. I had a miracle in my life. The work of God in my life was miraculous. It, it It is a tangible, real expression that God is real, that God is here, that God is working in this place, on this earth. God uses his people. God uses people to express himself. That's powerful. That is powerful. We need to be responsible. We need to take that to heart and understand it. You know, it, it, we, we talk about the local church. I was talking to someone years and years ago, and they, and they said to me, they, they said to me, I, I don't belong to the, the local church. I don't want anything to do with the local church. I, I belong to the invisible church. That's my, that's, I just belong, that's what I belong to, meaning, meaning they said, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and I, and I believe in God, and I, but I, I belong to the universal church, and I, church. I don't really want anything to do with the lo- local church. And it, it somehow, when people express that, it somehow seems like they're just one step above you know, everyone else. You know, I, just, I, I, don't, I don't want anything to do with the, the local church. She told me, I, I see no value in plugging into the local community of faith. I thought to myself, actually, I didn't say it. I, I didn't think it. I said it. I said, Interesting. So when when you're sick, who bring who, who comes to visit you? What invisible people? You know what I mean? Who who when you're sick? Who who brings you a meal? Do they bring you an invisible? Do all those invisible people bring you an invisible meal? It's nice. I'm in the hospital. Invisible people come show up and kind of hang out with me. All those invisible people, like they mow your lawn when you need it, and you know what I mean. Just you know, magically have you know, really. God created the, obviously, there is a universal, there is an invisible church. No question. We'll get to that in a moment. But when you say, I just, that's all I want to be a part of. I don't want to be any part of the local body. That doesn't really make any sense from a spiritual or biblical standpoint, especially that it's the number one way the church is used in the New Testament. The local church is an expression of God. It's an expression of God. When you only commit to the invisible church, um, to me, it's, you know, I don't know, it's a little bit of a cop-out. It, it, it's, it's like, I can, it's make, making a commitment to nothing really keep, keeps me no account. There's no accountability there. When you, when you make a commitment to something that's invisible, ju- just visible and universal, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a part of the invisible and universal church. Understand that. But if that's only you make your commitment to, there's really no accountability when it comes to, you know, how we live our lives. There's no true accountability. There, no one's saying, asking you, how are you doing in your spiritual journey? There, there's no one challenging your character or, or your personality flaws. There's no one really holding you accountable or anything. You just basically are floating out there by yourself and kind of do your thing. No accountability at all. Have you noticed that in the Bible, God is never satisfied with that kind of commitment? He's not. Read the word of God. God is not satisfied with that kind of commitment. He's not content with our declarations. He's not impressed with our words. He wants to see, he wants to see our commitment. God wants to see our commitment. Our words are important, don't get me wrong, but to God, words are cheap if they're not followed up by commitment. He's not content with declarations. There's a good book that I think you might want to grab. It's out in the foyer. It's in in your wise words. It's called Christian Atheist, Believing in God but Living as if He Doesn't Exist. Great book. Great book. 
kind of expresses a little bit of that thought. You know, it's like, you know, we, we come in and we say we believe in God, but then we, we live our lives like he really doesn't exist. So we need to focus our hearts and our minds in realizing that God is looking for more than just words. He's looking for more than just words. He's looking for people who will take, who will take action. Do you remember in John 21 what Jesus said to Peter after he denied him three times? He basically, Jesus sits down with Peter, looks him right in the face and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter obviously says, yes. And you remember what Jesus replied there? He, you know, he doesn't say, oh, okay, I just was just curious, he, you know, just was asking. I don't want to challenge, you know, if you said yes, you know, it's all fine. That's not what he says. He basically says, prove it, feed my sheep. Not only says it once, he says it three times. He asks them three times. And she, Peter's like, yes, yes, yes. And Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed, feed my lambs. It's like, isn't that kind of insensitive of Jesus? Politically, that's just, Jesus should just get his act together here because that's politically not correct, you know, to be that insensitive. But is it wrong for God to expect that his people, the people of faith, would basically express that faith in their actions? Is it wrong of God to, when, when someone says, I love you, for God to say, okay, I, all right, show me. Show me your love. Show me that expression of love. How, how are you living your life? How are you living your life for me? Peter just, Peter just pours out his heart to Jesus, and Jesus wants evidence. Why? I mean, Peter just poured out, yes, yes, I love you, Lord. And, and Jesus says, you know, uh, he wants evidence. Because, my friends, it's easy to say, I love you. It's easy to say, I'll follow you anywhere, which is what Peter says. Peter says in John chapter 13, Peter says, I'll follow you anywhere. You know what Jesus' response to him is? He says, will you really follow me anywhere? Jesus, Peter says in 13, he says, actually, I will die for you. And Jesus says to him, will you really die for me? Will you really die for me? And then he goes on to say, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. You'll disown me. Oh, I love you. Oh, I'll die for you. Oh, I'd follow you anywhere. Before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. Peter's words were easy, but the follow-through of those words were a little more challenging. To live out, and it, you know, you, we talked about this last week, we are by no means perfect. Here in, the, in this church or any other church in the world, and we are by no means perfect. But I'm going to tell you, it's, it's a little more challenging to follow through with the words that you say. And we all know that Peter failed. Peter's saying, oh, I would never, I will never, I would never. And Peter failed. God wants us to take, he wants to take us to the next level in our spiritual journey. But the question is, how does he do that? How is God going to take you and me to the next level in our spiritual journey? God wants you to grow, whether you're in elementary school here or in junior high or in high school or you're, you're you know, in your middle life or you're a little older. God wants you to grow. And so how is he going to do that in your life? How is God going to speak to you and help you move along in your spiritual journey? Well, he, he puts you in an environment where you can bring about that kind of change in your life. He puts you in that environment. And what he does is he puts you in this environment, the church. What better place to learn how to grow than to be around other, a bunch of other imperfect, ragged, you know, jagged edges, rough edges, 
people filled with baggage. I mean, look at us. What a motley crew. I mean, what better way to help us grow than to be around each other? You know what I mean? Different backgrounds, different experiences, different challenges. We come together in the church. What better way than to be around a bunch of imperfect people who have so many rough edges that God is smoothing out over their lifetime, filled with so much baggage that it's hard for us to carry it all. What a great plan, I think. It's a great plan. You want to grow spiritually? not going to do it. Honestly, you're not going to do it just being a part of the universal church. To grow truly, to grow spiritually in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to be a part of the invisible universal church. You also need to be a part of the local church. Once we're in the body, God wants to see how we're going to interact with each other. He wants to see how we're going to to treat each other. If we're going to use our time, our talents, and our treasures to invest in each other's lives and give him all of those things, God wants us to experience a relationship with him and with each other in this environment. Are we willing to, how do you know, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul and all your strength? All right, that's the first and greatest commandment. But Jesus says something, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. How are you going to know if you can truly, you've grown to the point where you can love your neighbor as yourself? How can you make, in Philippians chapter 2, how can you put others before yourself and consider others better than yourself if you're never ever around anyone to show and prove that, that you're not selfish, that you put them first? You just decide you are? Oh, if I ever were around a bunch of people, I would really, I'd be the most selfless person there. If they ask me, I would give up my, i give up my cookie for the other person if anyone ever asked for my cookie. I'd sacrifice if I really were in a group of people. Like it's, I mean, how do, you, how, do you exp- how do you grow? How do you know you're there spiritually? Unless God has put you in a group of people that allows you to look at yourself in the mirror and say, boy, I have a long, long, <clears throat> long way to go. We can talk all day long about how much we love God. You know what God says? God says, you know, if you don't love the people around you, how can you say you love me? How can you say you love me? In 1 John chapter 4, in verse 20, it's clear. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I don't know if it gets any more clear than that. Any more clear than that? I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty clear. God is not impressed by our words. God is not impressed by our words. Instead, he applauds our actions. When our our words are backed up by our actions, God applauds our words and our actions working together. He's looking for evidence. He's looking for evidence within this body of Christ that we call Grace Chapel, that we truly love him. That That is one of the main reasons the church exists. The church exists. It is a physical, tangible place where our commitment of Christ can be expressed, can be displayed. It, it is, it's, this is the place where we can express our love for God, that we can, exp- you know, that we, can, we can tangibly lay out how we truly feel. If we say we love God, this is the place where we show it. Within the body of Christ, it starts here. It starts here. We said this last week. We, wanna, we all want to change the world. Well, the world starts right in this room. That's where the world starts. We do things all over the world that I would say are pretty impressive. But you know what? This here is more important. Because if we don't do it well here, slowly but surely, we won't do it well anywhere else. 
This needs to be. This is a physical, tangible place where our commitment to Jesus Christ becomes evident. It is, a, it is truly a place where our faith becomes visible and we live out what we say we believe. We live it out. It's not just words, but there are actions. I see that happening in our church all the time. Wednesdays have become such a special time for me because we come together and, and people are investing in each other's lives. Small groups are so significant in this church because you watch how people's lives are changed as we invest in each other's lives, as we live out what we say we believe. I love God. I love my neighbor as myself. So when your neighbor is hurting, your neighbor needs something, are we, are we reaching out to our neighbor and expressing that deep, passionate love that we have for God? Is that expressing in itself and how we treat other people? The result of all of this should be that the church is unique. The church is a unique, unique place. It stands out in the world. That's what Paul says. Paul says in verse 2, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus to be called holy, sanctified, set apart for his use. We are to be sanctified. We are set apart to be used by God. We're not like everyone else. I'm not saying we're, oh, Christians are so much better than everyone else. People at Grace Chapel are so much. That's not what I'm saying at all. What the Bible says is that we are sanctified. It means we are set apart, being made holy, being set apart for God's use. God wants to use us. That's what Paul says that we are. We're unique in the universe. We're unique in the world. Paul goes on to say, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Third, the church is a universal community. The church is a universal community. The church is inclusive. It doesn't exclude anyone. Universal meaning that the church is, 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 is a, a place of where it consumes all believers at all times in all places. We are part of the universal church. There are churches right now all over our community, all over our country, and all over our world that are meeting right now, worshiping God. Their pastor's up there preaching his guts out. We're a part of all of that together. We're a part of the universal church. All believers at all times in all places. The church, like I said, is not inclusive. It's the, only, the only way that you, don't, you, you cannot be a part of this universal church is your own unbelief. Your, cho your choice not to believe in God. It's your unbelief that keeps you from being a member of the church, of the universal church, of the invisible church. We are all in this together. No matter where we are, we, we are, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are connected to those who died years ago. And we are connected to those who will live years from now in this church, in this body this incredible, this incredible gathering of believers we call Christianity. So no matter what you've done, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, then God is going to work out his purpose in your life. It doesn't matter where, what you've done. doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter what you've been through. If you have faith in God, if you have faith in Christ, then God is going to work out his purpose in your life. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. That's how God judges us and rewards us. 
That is how God does it. <laughs> My friends, we don't reward people in the church because of how much money they make. We don't reward people in the church because of the, the different the degrees that they have. We don't reward people in the church because of the position they hold. We reward people in the church because of their faithfulness to God. That's how you're rewarded by God. That's how the church should reward people within its body. Our faithfulness to God. Most people, my friends, will do anything to get recognized and accepted by the world. But God doesn't really care. He doesn't give a rip how you measure up to the world standards. He doesn't care at all. If you're the most popular person in the world, according to the world standards, he doesn't care. What he cares about is the kind of faith that you have in his son, Jesus Christ. Are you living for my son, Jesus Christ? How do you interact? How do you respond to my son, Jesus Christ? And if, that's the, if that standard is good enough for God, then that standard is good enough for Grace Chapel. That's how we, we should judge each other or see each other or reward each other as you encourage others how are they living out their faith in jesus christ not their position not their wealth not their whatever it's how how am i living my life what kind of faith do i have am i a faithful person do i faithfully follow god in my life second chronicles chapter 6 16 verse 9 says for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to, to, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. We show our faith in God, like I said before, by how we invest in the lives of other people. That is how we express our faith in God. We worship him. We do those things. But the true expression of our faith in God is how we interact with people in the world. You know, the number one complaint in America overall is loneliness. People are lonely. We love, we, 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 we love to, we have such pride in our, in our, in our, our technological ability to communicate with each other. But the world is, is more isolated than it ever has been before in history when it comes to interaction between people. We're, we're, so, we're so proud of our technological advances in communication, but the number one concern or feeling or pain that people go through in, in America today is they're feeling isolated. They're feeling lonely. Isn't that amazing? How can you feel lonely? My goodness, I get text and you get tweeted and you get called and you get whatever. I mean, you've got a computer, you've got your phone, you've got your, you know, your, you name it, you've got it. How, honestly, most of you, you could be, I was sitting, I was sitting in Africa we have, this, we have land, we have about 90 acres, and then it's attached to 400 more acres that we're, we're in the process of trying to uh, get uh, to buy. And there's a rock, it go, there's a rock formation that goes out, and it's almost like a hand. It looks like, if you look at it from one angle, it's really cool. It looks like fingers and a thumb. And there's a hand that sticks out that looks over the 400 acres. And I sat, I climbed up on the rock, and I sat out there, and I, with my feet, and it was probably, it was a long way down. But it wasn't dangerous to sit out there. It was, it was kind of slanted back. And I, I dangled my feet over the edge. And I got on the phone and I called my wife from Africa. I'm in the middle of nowhere. All I saw were the Fulani way out there working with their, with their, with their, with their cows. Little teen looked like ants. They were so far away. I called my wife. Hey, Dev, guess where I am? Incredible communication. If we're so amazing in our technological advances in communication, why are people so lonely? People are lonely. We pride ourselves in that. But people need relationship. And God's answer is the church. 
That's his answer. God's answer to what I just described to you is the church. That was God's response. It's God's response to America now. It's the church. It's his unique creation. The church is a place where everyone can come together with all that they've been through and be accepted and be welcome. Each person individually coming into the body of Christ where they can be cared for. And, they, and that's how everyone should feel when they walk through this, the doors of this church. Every one of us should be thinking to ourselves, it's called the five-minute rule. I haven't talked about it much in the last couple of years, but it's a rule that we have here. I'm going to keep start bringing it up even more now. Two minutes before the service starts and two and a half, two and a half minutes before the service starts, and two and a half minutes when, after the service is over is, the, is your time to go and connect with people have, you've never seen before. You don't, you don't know. You don't have to say anything like, oh, how long have you been coming? You, actually, that's how you should say it, how long have you been coming. Because if you say, hey, are you new? They've been here for like eight years. Some people get offended. So you say, hey, how long have you been coming to the church? That's a great intro to connecting with people. Two and a half minutes before, two and a half minutes after. The church should be a welcoming place where people feel connected. They feel brought in. We need to love each other and encourage each other and support each other. Let, let me share a story with you that I read this, this past week. A really, really great story. You all know, most of you know Jackie Robinson. He did something that people in his day did not want him to do. He integrated the game of baseball. A lot of people were like, oh, we don't want this to happen. But, you know, baseball was, was, it was just basically all whites. And Jackie Robinson was the first African-American, and he integrated the game of baseball. He, he stepped out of his comfort zone and entered a predominantly white profession. And as a result, he carried the, on his shoulders the prejudice of an entire culture. Okay, so one day at Ebbets Fields, which is his home field, Jackie Robinson's playing there in his home, home field. This is home field now, Ebbets Field. And Jackie Robinson makes an error. And I'm telling you, the place erupts. They were, they were letting him have it. You can just imagine the racial slurs and the cussing and the carrying on. And, you know, this guy, and they're calling him all kinds of names. And he's standing out there and makes the error. And all of a sudden, something amazing happened. The shortstop, Pee Wee Reese, comes walking over to Jackie Robinson, and he puts his arm, you're the, you know, you're, the, you're the stadium. They're all yelling all kinds of nasty things at him. Pee Wee Reese, who's like a, you know, he's like a hero. He comes over, and he puts his arms around Jackie Robinson, and he stands there, and he stares at the stadium. He stares at the crowd. And eyewitnesses say that the place went dead silent. Dead silent because his teammate came around him and encouraged him and stood next to him. Later, Jackie Robinson would say that was one of the turning points of his life that changed his life. Up to that day, he felt like he wanted to give up. I mean, can you imagine all the, all the nasty things that were constantly said about this man? He just wanted to throw in the towel. But once he recognized that he wasn't alone, once he recognized that his teammates were going to be standing by him, it gave him the strength to carry on, to go forward. Jackie found the strength to move forward in what, what he felt called to do. Today, baseball obviously is an integrated game. People from all over the world come together, united in their diversity. They play baseball all over the world. They play, if you look at it now, you, some of you would do, oh, you've got to be kidding me. All white stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry, but wouldn't that be kind of boring too? You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but that's, we have it now, but it wasn't then. 
Baseball has become a united game in the midst of all our diversity. Shouldn't, that, shouldn't we say that so much more about the church? Shouldn't we be about those types of things where we're in, engaging each other and co- connecting with each other? You know, we live in different areas and there may not be as many uh, different groups or cultures or races and everything, maybe around Mason or the surrounding area. But there's people with different socioeconomic backgrounds, different backgrounds from growing up, different cultures. We have a lot of diversity. We need to be a place, and I believe we are, but we need to make sure that we are, we are focused and continuing to be a place that God will use a diverse group of people to make a difference in the world because the world is watching how we interact with each other. This is a supernatural experience that we're going through right here. The church that God has created Fourth, our last one, the church is a -a one-of-a-kind community. The church is a -a one-of-a-kind community. When God looks at the church, he doesn't see the church's faults. He sees what he fell in love with. God sees what he fell in love with. God sees, he sees perfection reflected, a perfect reflection of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what God sees. Because when God sees the church, He sees the church the way he sees you and the way he sees me. When God sees you and God sees me, he doesn't see all our faults and all our failures and all our screw-ups and all our whatevers. He doesn't see all the things in the past. What God sees is his son, Jesus Christ. God, when God sees us, he sees his son. He no longer sees Jeff Greer. He knows knows this. I'm Jeff Greer and he knows all my faults and all those kinds of things. But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that blood covers me. And so when God sees me, he doesn't see me any longer. He sees the perfection of his son, Jesus Christ. I love that. I love that. That's what God sees when he sees me. And that's what God sees when he sees the church. Your life is hidden in Christ. What a great thing. I mean, think about that for a second. Don't just let that go by. Your life, I, you know, you're thinking, oh, man, I'm such a, I'm such a, I'm, I can't, whatever. Your life is hidden in Christ. That's awesome. That's unbelievable. Someone should say amen. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'll do that again, okay? Your life is hidden with Christ. Oh, my good, right? Isn't it? I mean, I know we don't say, we don't talk out loud here at Grace Chapel, but you're allowed to. Because that is an amazing truth. That is an amazing spiritual truth. And the second thing that God sees is built on the first, that you are a work in progress. Thank God he sees us that way. We're perfect in our standing with God in Christ. But then God also sees us as a work in progress. He sees us, I love that. Someone said something last week that touched my heart in such a profound way. They said, Grace Chapel is a safe place to bleed. I I love that. We should should write that right along the edge of our church here on on, on, on 42. Grace Chapel is a safe place to bleed. My prayer is that every single one of us feel that way. And if we don't feel that way yet, we will feel that way. That this is a safe place to let it all out. This is a safe place to say, we were in our small group the other night, and someone, someone basically, I won't say what they, exactly what they said, because maybe it's a tiny bit offensive to some, but they just were going through something. They said, this really, you know, stinks. Really. It's that, that, and they're exactly right. Everybody, I'll tell you, they got a bunch of amens, too, because everybody was feeling the exact same way. 
The church needs to be a safe place to bleed. We need to be in a place we feel that we can grow and we can become more like our Savior Jesus Christ. We can become like Him. We can be the people we were created to be. But that means that we have to live out what God has done in our lives. That means that we need to reflect on the outside the reality of what God has done on the inside. We need to reflect on the outside what God has done on the inside. We need to stop dwelling on the past and claim our true birthright, who we are. We don't understand who we are. We don't. We really don't. That your life is hidden with Christ and that when Christ sees you, he doesn't see you. When God sees you, he doesn't see you. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. We don't understand that we, were, we are joint heirs of Jesus Christ. We don't understand that when we accepted Jesus Christ, we were born again. And then you say, we say that, but we don't understand our birthright. We live, out, we live out our past instead of the reality of who we are. And we miss out on so much of life. We need to remember, like we talked about last week, who we belong to. You need to remember who you belong to because we share a uniqueness, a unique identity. I read a story this week that I absolutely loved. I really, this, this kind of goes right along. It says, most of us will have no idea who Russell Christ, uh, Christoff is. He is a very unknown actor and model. And this, this picture, I, I kind of throw a picture up there. Throw the picture up there. That'll help to kind of tell you who the guy is. Remember that? Remember that guy? Taster's Choice. That's the guy, Russell Kristoff, okay? He's a guy smelling the, uh, the, the Taster's Choice aroma. Well, he was a model, an actor, and he went in, and, and the Taster's Choice people took some pictures of him, and they said they gave him $250 for the picture. And they said, we'll give you $2,500 if we use you uh, in this campaign. So they gave him $2,500. For 15 years, Taster's Choice sold this guy's face Okay, as their spokesperson, smelling that coffee that almost all of us have seen. If you're a little bit older, especially, you've seen this. Well, the funny thing is, Russell Kristoff never knew the Yudas faced. He walked through the store all the time, and he never recognized that that was him. I guess, you know, he didn't drink any instant coffee, and his family didn't drink instant coffee, and his, none of his friends drank instant coffee. For 15 years, he's, he's their spokesperson, but he never knew it. He never recognized himself. For 15 years. One day he's walking down the aisle in the grocery store, and lo and behold, he sees himself. So he does what any true blood American would do. He calls his lawyer. That's the first thing, you know, right? Exactly. Wait a second. I was supposed to get paid for this. In 2002, Taster's Choice settled with him for $15.6 million. Moral of the story it pays to recognize yourself. <laughs> It pays to know who you are. Sometimes we don't know who we are. It pays to recognize who we are. The exciting thing about living the Christian life is that you realize your true identity. You realize who you are in Jesus Christ. I'm not just Jeff Greer, born in New Jersey, grew up in New York, whatever the case may be. I'm more than that because I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. It pays to recognize who you are. I'm going to read this to you, and I want you, why don't you all stand up? We're going to close off. Stand up with me, will you? Stand up. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you who you are. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says this. I'm going to read it slowly. But you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people, a royal, listen, let this sink in, a chosen, cho I, he chose you, a royal priesthood. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people belonging to God. That's who you are. You belong to God. You ever, you ever know that you are a royal priesthood? You are. You are a holy nation. You are. You are unique. You are special. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's who we are. That is who we are. We need to recognize who we are so we can live out all that God has for us as individuals and as a church together. If we would embrace our true identity, if we would love each other, if we would care for each other, if we would show grace to each other, if we would live that way and do those things, then we as a church, this church and this world would never be the same. If we would live that way and express ourselves that way, this church and the world would be changed. We need to believe that. Not because of how great we are as individuals. Not even because of how great we are as a church. But because of who we belong to and what God says about us. That's why. Bow your heads with me.